Ready for the word? This is my Bible. It is the word of God and it is the will of God for my life. I am who the word says I am. I'm the righteousness of God in Christ. I'm where the word says I am. Seated right now in Christ Jesus in the heavenly realms in the place of authority, dominion, and power. I have what the word says I have. All the blessings of Abraham are mine. And I can do what the word says I can do. I can do all things through Christ who gives me the strength. Today my mind is alert. My spirit is receptive. So I'm taught the word of God. My life has changed for the better. And I will never be the same again. Amen. You may be seated. I want to talk to you this morning about gratitude. Jesus lived a life of gratitude. I think if there is any power in life that we have underestimated, I think I would name two. One is praise and one is gratitude. In Matthew 14 and Mark 6, when Jesus fed the 5,000 men plus women plus children with five loaves and two fish, how did he do that? How did he feed so many when there wasn't enough? You know, we're blessed. And uh, we've, been, we've been walking by faith and not by sight long enough. We just take it for granted now. But when Sue and I reminisce, we live through days of not enough. How do you handle not enough? They didn't have enough. I said they didn't have enough. So what did Jesus do? He gave thanks. Matthew 14, 19 says, he gave thanks. And they all ate and they all had their fill and there was more left over than when they started. In Mark chapter 8, when Jesus fed the 4,000 men plus women plus children with seven loaves and a few fish, how did he do that? How did he feed so many when there wasn't enough? They didn't have enough, and yet Jesus gave thanks. Mark 8, 7 says... He gave thanks. They all ate and had their fill, and there was more left over than when they started. When I was a boy, I would sit at my grandparents' breakfast table, and uh, I always thought it was interesting as a boy because their children were grown and gone. There was one son that was there sometimes helping, but by and large, my grandfather did all the work. And I always thought it was interesting because he went to buy the pigs and he slaughtered the pigs and he plowed the fields and he sowed the fields and he harvested the fields. <laughs> he, he did all the work. But we would sit down there at that breakfast table and my grandfather, he was a big man, about 6'2", white hair, and he'd bow his head and he would give God thanks for the food set before them. I think there is something really gone amiss 
in our culture that uh, people want to take credit for things. They want to take credit for everything, even things they didn't have anything to do with. And this whole idea of gratitude and giving thanks. You know, everything in our modern world is a lie. And uh, the country of Switzerland has banned electric cars over the winter because of the lack of uh, gas coming from Russia now. How in the world are we going to plug in 13 million cars overnight in Texas that are not plugged in now if everything goes electric? I mean, they can't keep the grid on as it is. It's all a lie, the whole thing. And it's all to avoid being grateful and thanking God that he put those fossil fuels in the earth. I mean, when it's cold in Texas, ain't no telling how cold it is in places like Ohio and Michigan and New York. If you're watching, move to Texas, amen. It's chilly, but it's not really crazy. But if it weren't for what God put in the earth, everybody would be freezing to death. But they don't want to admit. They don't want to give God the credit. They don't want to say with their mouths that there's enough to the end of time and God put it there and he put it there for us. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. It's unbelievable the extent modern man will go to to avoid giving God any credit whatsoever. Amen. Jesus lived such a lifestyle of gratitude. This is actually how the disciples recognized him in Luke 24 after his death, burial, and resurrection. You remember the story, how two disciples were walking along the road to Emmaus after the women had reported the empty tomb and after Peter had verified that the tomb of Jesus was indeed empty. You remember how they walked along the road and how Jesus talked to them, but they didn't recognize him in his resurrected body. But the Bible records in Luke's gospel that as he spoke to them, their hearts burned within them. But when exactly did they recognize him? It was in Luke 24, verses 30 and 31. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him. He lived such a lifestyle of gratitude. It was when he gave thanks that they recognized him. Do people know you by your giving thanks? Do people know you because of your attitude of gratitude? Are you known for giving God the credit, the glory, and the honor for every good thing that's going on in your life? Jesus gave thanks in tough times as well as good times. Anyone can give God thanks when there is such miraculous abundance that 5,000 men plus women plus children can be fed with five loaves and two fish. 
Anyone can give God thanks when there is such miraculous abundance that 4,000 men plus women plus children can be fed with seven loaves and a few fish. But how many men can give thanks when they're about to die the cruelest death ever invented by man? Knowing that he was going to die by the hands of the politicians and the religious leaders, knowing that he was going to suffer the cruelest death ever invented by man, what did Jesus do at the Last Supper? Luke twenty-two nineteen, and he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Matthew 26, 27, and 28, Then he took the cup, gave thanks, and offered it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Jesus, <laughs> this would be hard to do, Jesus gave thanks even in the midst of betrayal. You know, I've been meditating on this this week. And I think one of the reasons ministers all have to go through betrayal is so we have a connection to Jesus on that front. And when you're young, it's a little harder to handle than when you're older. But he handled it. And even in the midst of betrayal, he gave thanks. The Last Supper, as it has come to be known, is full of intrigue. Jesus had been betrayed, and he knew it. Jesus had been sold out for money, and he knew it. Jesus had been sold out for 30 pieces of silver, the modern equivalent of $650, and the price back then of an ordinary, uncommon slave. And yet, he gave thanks. And I've got to tell you, in my nearly 50 years in the ministry, I've seen a lot of men who sold out Jesus for money. In my nearly 50 years in the ministry, I've seen a lot of women who made their husbands sell out Jesus for money. It was the Passover, the celebration of Israel's deliverance out of the hands of the politicians of Egypt by the hand of the mighty prophet Moses. But for Jesus, this was to be no celebration of deliverance, this was his last supper with those he loved before he was betrayed into, not out of, before he was betrayed into the hands of the politicians and the religious leaders of his day. A kind of reverse Passover. Matthew 26, 19 gives us the record. So the disciples did as Jesus had directed them and prepared the Passover. When evening came, Jesus was reclining at the table with the twelve. And while they were eating, he said, I tell you the truth, one of you will betray me. They were very sad and began to say to him one after the other, surely not I, Lord. Jesus replied, the one who has dipped his hand into the bowl with me will betray me. The son of man will go just as it is written about him. But woe to that man who betrays the son of man. And you know, I think I could say that in 2022. Woe to that man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. Then Judas, the one who would betray him, said, Surely not I, Rabbi. Jesus answered, Yes, it is you. 
While they were eating, Jesus took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup, gave thanks, and offered it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. When they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus told them, This very night you will all fall away on account of me, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Peter replied, even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. I tell you the truth, Jesus answered this very night before the, roos before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. But Peter declared, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the other disciples said the same. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, my father, if it is not possible, may this cup be taken. If it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples, and he found them sleeping. I think when the, the parousia of the church happens, the rapture of the church happens, he's going to find a lot of his disciples sleeping. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be asleep in the light. Amen. I want to be sober. I want to be vigilant because we have an adversary, and he walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Hallelujah. Tell your neighbor, watch and pray. Tell the neighbor on the other side, watch and pray. Could you not, could you men not keep watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. Listen, I, I don't want to disparage anybody, criticize anybody, but it is obvious watching these ministers that a lot of them are not reading their Bibles and a lot of them are not praying. You cannot read your Bible and you cannot pray and do and say some of the things going on in this generation. Amen. So we need to be dialed in. Not to CNN, we need to be dialed in to the written word of God and to the Holy Spirit of God. I think in my... Later years here, two verses that have alarmed me. <laughs> here I am rehearsing them on Christmas Sunday morning. When the Son of Man returns, will he find faith on the earth? That alarms me. When the Son of Man returns, will he find faith on the earth? Another one is, he who, he who stands firm to the end will be saved. The implication is a lot of people will not stand firm to the end. And then, of course, in Matthew 24, 
It says, because of the increase of wickedness, the love of many, some translations, the love of most will wax cold. I don't know about you, but uh, I go to the book of Revelation and I read those letters to the churches and I just make up my mind all over again that I'm going to stay on fire for the Lord. I'm going to pray. I'm going to read my Bible and I'm going to be full of faith when he comes. Can I get an amen? amen? Could you men not keep watch with me for one hour? He has Peter watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away a second time and prayed, My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away once more and prayed the third time, saying the same thing. Then he returned to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour is near, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. While he was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, arrived. With him was a large crowd armed with swords and clubs, sent from the chief priests and the elders of the people. I want you to see it. Government was involved in the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ, but the main moving force in the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ was religious folks. And I don't know how much time we have. I don't know what all will happen before the parousia of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, but I do see what's going to happen at least in the tribulation and the great tribulation, and that is that religious people are going to be greatly used by the man of lawlessness and the Antichrist and the political system of totalitarianism to exercise control over people. If you don't agree with them, the Bible tells us that you will not be able to buy or sell. And let me tell you what, these people that have gone along with the woke ideology, they are going to be first in line to report their neighbors and to turn their neighbors in. I'll tell you one thing I know for sure. I want to go in the coming of the Lord. I want to go in the rapture of the church. Amen. I don't want to stand around and watch what's going to happen in the first three and a half years or the last three and a half years of the tribulation. Hallelujah. I want to go in the first load. Amen. Then it's all somebody else's problem. Verse 45, then he returned to the disciples and said to them, are you still sleeping? Look, the hour is near and the son of man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Verse 48, now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them. The one I kiss is the man, arrest him. <laughs> of course, going at once to Jesus, Judas said, greetings, rabbi, and kissed him. Jesus replied, friend, do what you came for. Then the men stepped forward, seized Jesus, and arrested him. Ushers, would you serve us, the elements, please, as we prepare to receive from the Lord's table? I think going into 2023, if we, had, if we were going to be limited to a one resolution, we ought to determine to live a life of gratitude. Amen. And to thank God 
for everything. Everything good. Thank God for the house we're living in. Thank God for the car, cars we're driving. Thank God. Thank God, thank God, thank God. And when people want to brag on us, you know, we had a, we're having to replace a banker. And we had a banker upstairs a couple of months back. And he wanted to go on and on about the property and the building. I had to be very careful and very specific to tell him, well, these are the works of God. It's God. We take no credit. We take no glory. We take no honor. Amen. These are the works of God. I don't know about you, but I don't want to hinder God blessing me. I said, I don't know about you, but I don't want to hinder God blessing me. And if we get in there like some famous people and we act like we did it all and we're smart and we're geniuses, then he can't trust us to bless us with more. So going into 2023, let us resolve that <coughs> we're going to give him the credit, the glory, and the honor. And even when uh, people want to give us an attaboy and pat us on the back, tell us we did a good job. And I realize at work you have to be careful how you do this, but we need to deflect that and give the Lord the credit, the glory, and the honor. Hallelujah. And we need to be grateful. Father God, forgive me for any complaint that's ever come out of my mouth. We need to be grateful. Amen. Now, I'm not talking about Amazon. Sometimes you got to get on the phone and complain. But, but I'm, I'm talking about, you know, things that we complain about that have a bearing on the Lord. Let us not complain about money. <laughs> Let us not complain about our health. Let us not complain uh, uh, about our spouses. Amen. Let us not complain about our children. Let us lift our hands and lift our heads and lift our countenances and let us look to the Lord and let us give him thanks. Even if you have to give thanks in faith. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You know, when we started down this road of confession, that's what we had to do a lot. You know, forget about 2 Corinthians 9-11. We, we, we had to give God thanks for Philippians 4-19 in faith. Thank you, Father God, all of our needs are met. And uh, the devil would say, you're lying. And our answer was, well, if I'm saying what God says, how can I be lying? Amen. Amen. But to give him thanks, even when it's thin, to give him thanks, even when it looks like we don't have enough. John Osteen used to say, you know, the, uh, the month is longer than the paychecks. You know, to even just give him thanks when it looks like we don't even see how we're going to make it to the next payday. Thank you, Father God. You are my father. You are my source. Now, we, we don't get cocky on the job and act like we're ungrateful on the job. If you get a Christmas bonus, you be, you be gracious. You say thank you. But in yourself, in your mind, in your soul, in your spirit, man, you know that's the Lord. Amen. So you're polite on the job. You say thank you. You get a raise. You get a bonus. You say thank you. But we don't look to that as our source. The Lord is our source. Amen. Amen. So it looks like everybody has been served. Am I correct? All right. 
Back to the passage in Matthew 26, 26, while they were eating, Jesus took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and gave it to his disciples saying, take and eat, this is my body. Now he did not mean literally, this is my body, obviously. It is a symbol. The reason it's unleavened bread goes back to the Passover. Part of what they did in the Passover is they ate unleavened bread, flat bread. And the reason is because yeast in the Old Testament was a type, a symbol of sin, even in the New Testament. Paul talks about how sin can spread through a church. It's a type. So the unleavened bread is what they would eat in the Passover. What is the Passover? Well, that began the night God sent the angel of death into Egypt to kill the firstborn of every household in Egypt. And they made ready to travel. Glory to God. And that's what we're doing here this morning, my brothers and my sisters in the Lord. We are making ready to travel. Hallelujah. And they ate the bitter herbs and they ate the unleavened bread. And uh, it was the Passover and that was Jesus' last supper. So he didn't mean the bread was his literal physical body. That would be impossible, but it is a symbol of his body broken for us. So let's take the bread in hand. Father God, we stop this morning on Christmas Sunday morning and we give thanks because the Bible tells us that from the foundation of the world order, <coughs> Jesus was slain. You had a plan the whole time to save us and to redeem us. Father God, we were lost. We were undone. There's not a one among us who has not sinned. We could not possibly save ourselves, but you sent Jesus. And he lived among the people. He ministered for three and a half years. He committed no wrongdoing, and yet he was put to death but he was put to death for our sins. We know from Isaiah 53 that you put our sins upon him, you put our pains upon him, you put our sorrows upon him, you put our diseases upon him. And he has taken them and he has carried them away. And we are grateful. This unleavened bread that we hold in our hand is but a symbol of his body that was broken for us. When they tied him to that whipping post and they put the cat of nine tails on his back and they whipped him. The Bible says that by the stripes of Jesus, we have been healed. His body was broken for us. They nailed him to that cross. They stuck that spear in his side. His body was broken for us. And Father God, in Jesus' holy name, we give you thanks. Shall we eat together? Then he took the cup, gave thanks, and offered it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. And so again, the juice is not the blood of Jesus, but it is a type of the blood of Jesus, which was poured out for us. Jesus said, 
This is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Hallelujah. So, Father God, we give you thanks. We give you thanks, Father God, when they thrust that spear into the side of Jesus to make sure he was gone. The Bible records that outpoured blood and outpoured water. On that whipping post, he bled. On that cross, he bled. And the Bible tells us in Revelation that it is by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of our testimony that we overcome Satan. And we thank you, Father God. We hold these truths these truths to be self-evident and we hold these truths to be eternal and they are unchanging. And we believe, Father God, we're believers, we're not doubters. And as we drink of this juice, we thank you. We remember the Lord's death until he comes and we also give thanks that he is coming and we await his arrival, his coming in Jesus' holy name. Shall we drink together?